You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet, but you already know that. That is why you're here. Today is a pretty good day for um, if you're looking for the fall weather to come back in Baltimore. Very chilly outside, windy. Um, October 4th, Friday, October 4th, 2019. The beginning of this recording is taking place at about 12.40 in the afternoon, a little earlier than normal. Um, but today, um, you may notice the mic quality has returned. Technical difficulties are finished. They're through. We are back on schedule with the regular mic, the mic I like so much, uh, the Blue Snowball mic, not uh, anyway sponsored by Blue Snow Blue or you know promoting the Snowball microphone, but it's just a good microphone. Uh, and that's what we usually use. The past few weeks, I'd use a backup microphone. Uh, it didn't work as well, but we are back on schedule with this this microphone, better sound quality, and as always, you know, I want to make it. Um, the most enjoyable podcast for you, so it was very important for me to get this microphone back. Um, now, a little housekeeping things before we jump into the episode. Is, as always, make sure to like us uh, on Facebook. If you can find us on Facebook, Nest Talk with Baltimore Feather there as well. Follow us on Twitter, at BeMoreFeather, or at Nest Talk. And of course, you can find me, at Chris Linfont, on Twitter as well for, you know, not just Ravens things, college football, everything you want. Um... If you are listening on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you are listening on iTunes, subscribe on iTunes. That way, whenever a new Nest Talk is published, you will be notified of it very quickly. Um, and that's always important if you are trying to stay up to date with the latest Ravens news of the week and latest of my opinions. I always give takes on here, whether you think they're right or wrong. You know, we're always happy to discuss in the comments section. Um, and finally, go to BaltimoreFeather.com. That's the home website, the host of this podcast itself. Uh, and you can subscribe to the newsletter. That way, anytime any Ravens news happens and we write an article about it, you will get that article in your email inbox. Very, very easy to get. Um, and that way you stay up to date with the latest Ravens news at all times. Uh, and it's very helpful if you are trying to stay up to Ravens news, you want to get game recaps, preview predictions, Everything we offer on BaltimoreFeather.com, it's all free, and all it takes is your email address. It goes right to you, and if you don't want to put in your email address, that's fine. I get it, but make sure to check out BaltimoreFeather.com frequently for the latest Ravens articles, best news and opinion articles on the entire internet. Um, and of course, every time a new podcast is published, we post an article on there notifying you as well. So if you'd rather get it through your email that way, uh, it's entirely understandable, and you can do it that way. So we always have all the options open. Okay, without further ado, we're going to get straight into the episode today. Um, there's more Ravens news this week than there was last week. Last week, we only really had to talk about um, injuries and some commentary that Shannon Sharp brought us that was very good. But now here we are um, with a lot of roster moves. And this is not something the Ravens would have expected last week, going into the Browns game to make all these roster moves after the game. Of course, one move was made before the game, uh, and that's Otero Alaka, the undrafted inside linebacker being placed on the injured reserve. We mentioned last week that Otero Alaka was not participating in practice on Thursday, and I didn't think he was going to play. He did not play because he was put on the IR beforehand. Um, and this is, I mean, it's somewhat surprising. I didn't think he would get placed on the IR, but it definitely shows that the Ravens Wanted to find more help at inside linebacker. Um, Otero Olaka maybe could have come back. I don't know the full medical details, but maybe he could have come back earlier. But they were just trying to fill up a new roster spot, bring in somebody else for now, and save Otero Olaka basically for later in the season or next year if the Ravens want to bring him back again. Uh, and I think the Ravens will, of course, give him another opportunity because, you know, that's typically what they do. If you get put on the IR, you're going to get an op another opportunity to come in and compete the next year. But the Ravens did not sign anybody before the game actually happened. They put Otero Alaka on the IR. I believe it was on Saturday. They had until I think it was 5 p.m. that day to make a signing that would allow them to bring in a new player um, for the game, make him active. But the Ravens were not able to do that for whatever reason. They waited until Sunday. I think they were essentially confident in which players they had 
uh, on the roster, and whoever they brought in was probably going to be inactive anyway because they didn't know the playbook, they didn't know the mesh with the players. Um, so they weren't going to mess with that. So they only had six inactive players as opposed to seven, I think it is usually. 45, uh, I could be wrong, but I think it's 45 for every game has to be active. Don't hold me on that, which would make it seven. Yeah, seven inactive, so then you have your six. Is oh, Can't talk today. The Ravens only had six inactives um, for Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, so the best 45 men were in again, um, 46 men, whatever it is. And it didn't end well for the Ravens. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But after the game, the Baltimore Ravens went out and signed LJ Fort. Now, LJ Fort, um, inside linebacker, veteran in the NFL, he's not really going to change this entire defense, but he is going to provide the Ravens um, a sense that something is being done about this this atro- plainly atrocious defense that that's been playing over the past few weeks. This is not the way the Ravens defense should any Ravens defense should ever play. Um, and LJ Fort, you know, he's a journeyman linebacker. He's been in the league for a while, um, but he's never really stuck anywhere. And it's it's not going to completely change the defense. I'm telling you right now that LJ Fort's not going to. Um, but you know, the Otero Alaka being put on the IR immediately. A lot of people started to think that LJ Scott was going to be the guy um, that the Ravens were going to go after. He had just become a free agent. I think he was cut a, a few days beforehand by the previous team, who I'm blanking on actually. Um, Eagles. He was he was cut by the Eagles, uh, and you know, a few days prior, and the Ravens immediately had that opportunity to go out and get him. Um, so with that being said, though, L.J. Fort, um, again, a journeyman, hasn't really stuck around anywhere, but he had a, a decent a, a decent year last year. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't uh, anything, you know, worth a pro bowl or anything like that. But he had a good enough year to make him um, a viable option for the Ravens in 2019 because in 2018 uh, he played with the Steelers. So we're going to have to forgive that. He, he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had a good enough year for them. We'll have to forgive him now because he's hopefully going to be the savior um, or at least somebody to come in and do something on this defense. But um, he only has 65 combined tackles in his entire career. He made 48 of those combined tackles last year with 38 solo tackles and a sack. He played in 15 games last year, started in just two of them, though. Um, so as a backup linebacker, he actually got quite a lot of time. Um, and that's good for the Ravens. They're getting somebody who's at least proven. Now, again, he's not going to completely change the script, flip the script, of this Ravens defense. It's not going to happen. I'm telling you right now, he's not going to magically fix this defense. But what LJ Fort is going to do is going to bring in somebody who at least knows how to make tackles, to make plays. And that's what the Ravens are kind of missing at inside linebacker. Since CJ Mosley left, it's not been pretty. It's not been pretty at all. Um, So whatever the Ravens are going to end up doing here with LJ um, Ford. I almost I, I, every time I say L.J. Ford, he wanted to say L.J. Scott, the running back from Michigan State. So if I accidentally say L.J. Scott, that's why you know why. Um, but L.J. Ford again, he's not going to completely change everything, but he is going to bring um, a new face to this Ravens defense, a much needed new face. But uh, moving on, the Ravens made another decision right after the signing of L.J. Ford. Everything here happens on a next day basis. Um, so this is now. Tuesday? This is Tuesday. The Ravens cut Tim Williams. The Ravens cut their third-round pick from 2017, Tim Williams. Uh, Very surprising move, in my opinion. I know he was very disappointing for the Ravens, but I didn't think they were going to cut him now. I thought they would wait till the end of the season, Uh, You know, maybe allow him to compete for a roster spot like Jordan Lasley did, who ended up getting cut in the offseason. Um... But Tim Williams was cut, and I guess it was it was overdue because Tim Williams has done absolutely nothing in Baltimore. He had a couple good sacks last year. He got some good pressures, but continually getting hurt, you know, it wasn't good. He didn't get enough pressure when it counted. This year, his snap count was dwindling. I read somewhere that it was seven snaps against the Cleveland Browns in the most important game of the year to this to this point. Um, he only gets seven snaps. Like gives, that tells you how much the Ravens just don't trust Tim Williams to put a performance on the field where they think they're going to come out beneficial 
uh, on top. They're going to come out on top, I should say. They didn't trust Tim Williams to do that. And the sad thing is, Tim Williams had unbelievable potential coming out of Alabama. I thought that he was going to be a good pass rusher. I mean, yeah, I was in my first year covering the Ravens in 2017. A little bit more naive back then, I would say, but... I thought Tim Williams had a decent chance to become a good pass rusher. He and Tyus Bowser have continually disappointed. And to Tyus Bowser's credit, Harbaugh goes out there and says, basically, these two have to improve. Something's got something's to happen with these two, Tyus Bowser and Tim Williams, because right now, they're not cutting it. To Tyus Bowser's credit, he goes out and gets a sack immediately afterwards on, on Baker Mayfield in the game. I think it was like the first or second drive, too. Um, so, honestly, Tyus Bowser could have been the one cut, I think. But they don't trust Tim Williams enough. And I guess the, 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 the saving grace for Ty Bowser, I mean, maybe it was that sack. But he definitely has more potential. And coming into the league, Tim Williams had some off-the-field questions about him. I don't know if any of that contributed in the Ravens cutting him now. I'm not going to make that speculation. Um, but it just goes to show you that sometimes it's just not there with these prospects. Because he was a prolific pass rusher at Alabama. A Nick Saban defender usually does not flop in the NFL. Tim Williams didn't. Now he got, um, Tim Williams did get flopped. Um, Tim Williams was picked up by the Packers on waivers. He unites, reunites with Zadarius Smith up there in Green Bay. We will see what happens with him in the future. Maybe he can re- resurrect his career here uh, in Green Bay. But at this point, Tim Williams' career in Baltimore is completely finished. Uh, and there's no turning back from it now. Uh, I really do hope he pulls it together, though. He has immense talent, and it just it never clicked here in Baltimore. Um, but the next day, so the Ravens now have another open roster spot. I mean, so this is two in, in two days here. Um, they went out, and, and they continued the theme of the season, finding former Ravens players to rejoin the team. I mean, you had Pernell McPhee, right, former Ravens player on that Super Bowl team. You got Brendan Trawick. I don't think he was on the Super Bowl team, but, you know, former Ravens special teams player came back. We'll talk about him in a second here. Um, and now you go out and get Josh Bynes. And for those of you that don't remember Josh Bynes, you'll remember the Ravens in the Super Bowl against the 49ers punted the football as the last play because um, it was a free kick. Sam Cook took the safety first to try to run the clock, and they felt the punt coverage team would be able to tackle, I think it was Ted Ginn coming back with it, whoever, Ted Ginn, whatever. They, thought, they knew, pretty much knew they'd be able to stop it, so that's why they did it. And it was Josh Bynes, actually was the one to make that final tackle for the Baltimore Ravens in that Super Bowl to clinch the Super Bowl. So this is Josh Bynes coming back. Uh, he spent some time in Arizona last year um, and was a free agent since March. Um, so that tells you no one actually wanted Josh Bynes until now. And I don't say that to poke fun at Josh Bynes. I say that to tell you the desperation the Ravens really are in. to trying all avenues. And i got to give him credit, though. I think Josh Bynes is probably the right signing for this move. And I think LJ Fort was the right signing, too. I mean, these are two inside linebackers here um, that can do some damage. But Josh Bynes specifically for this, he's coming into a system he pretty much already knows. I mean, it's got to be definitely different under um, Wink Martindale than it was Dean Pease. But the language is going to be the same because it's Harbaugh. Um, you know, the scheme is going to be pretty much the same because it's Harbaugh. It's the same function. He'd be able to soak up more information uh, on a quicker basis than maybe another inside linebacker would be because he's had this experience with the Ravens. And I think he stopped playing here in 2014, so it wasn't that really long ago. It was about five years ago since he left the Ravens. So, again, a lot actually does change. But um, the vernacular, the decision-making, the comfort level, the, even you know being able to, to navigate the facility – He's already got that underway. It's, he doesn't have to learn as much as somebody else coming in brand new who's never played for the Ravens before. And I think that's a benefit for Josh Bynes. And I actually think Josh Bynes might be able to put some um, good plays on the field. Now, individually, Bynes and Fort aren't going to save this Ravens defense. But together, I mean, maybe they could do something. And I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want my assessment earlier to come off like it's too doomy and gloomy. Potentially, these two players together could be able to put something on the field where they're able um, to essentially change the way the inside linebacker position is played for the Baltimore Ravens. Instead of being in retreat so much, 
they come up and actually make the plays they have to, and that's important. And if the Ravens can see that out of these two players in a combination, they're not gonna. Neither of them would be able to do it on their own. A combination of these two could potentially at least change the way it's played. It's not gonna be again. It's not gonna going to completely change the Ravens' defense. They would need to trade for Jalen Ramsey if they want to completely change the Ravens' defense, right? But these two players together at least could make it better. I'm not gonna say they will make it better. I'm gonna say they could make it better. It all depends on what happens, frankly, on the field, on the gridiron. That's going to be the ultimate determining factor here. Um, And moving on now to the next roster move, because, of course, there's another one. Uh, The Ravens put Brendan Trawick on the IR. So another guy who came in, as I mentioned before, to the Ravens after having a stint here for a few years, um, made the team on special teams. The Ravens pride themselves in special teams, made a couple good plays, in the first two games, but in that Cardinals game, he injured his elbow, and he wasn't able to come back from it. Although he started to participate again in practice this past week, but the Ravens decided, you know what? Just go to the IR. Um, And why do they do that? Well, there's two real reasons they would have done that. Number one is maybe they actually did think that Brendan Trowick was not going to actually play for a very long time again on this team at least eight weeks, right? He Let's say he's out for at least eight weeks. Then it makes sense to put him on the IR because he'd be designated to return at the end. Um, that's something. But the other thing is maybe they see Brendan Trowick and say, okay, we don't need him exactly right now. Maybe later in the season we can use him. Let's use this elbow injury to put him on the IR, even though he might be able to go in a week. Let's put him on the IR now and go out and sign somebody else. Um, but the question is, who would that signing be? And frankly, I don't know. I specifically can't tell you because I don't have the inside information that other people do. I can't obtain that inside information myself. I'm going to rely on somebody else. Jeff Zrebeck of The Athletic basically is saying the Ravens worked out Damata Pecco. And if you remember that name, you'll know he played for Cincinnati Bengals for quite a long time. I think from 04 to like 2016 or something like that. They offered Damata Pecco a contract. They could not work out the deal itself. They couldn't come to a number, and that's when they got binds. Now, it's not to say they didn't want binds, but you know, getting both of them probably was the idea. So getting binds first would allow the Ravens more time to work with Pecco and try to essentially cut a deal with him. Um, now, are the Ravens going to sign Pecco because they were in contract negotiation with him last week, or earlier this week, I should say? No, that doesn't necessarily mean that. What it does mean, though, is that I would imagine, or at least a high probability of the Ravens attempting to get Pecco. And they want to put more defensive tackle depth in here because with Brandon Williams out, I mean, it wasn't the best defensive line. Play. There was no good play anywhere on the field, okay? I mean, Lamar wasn't that bad, but he missed some throws. But... Entirely, everyone, both sides of the ball sucked. Frankly, they just sucked last Sunday. And, you know, defensive line would help. It would definitely help. And Pecco, a longtime veteran in the NFL, somebody who's played in the AFC North, might actually be maybe not the answer, but an answer to one of the Ravens' biggest needs right now is, is, is frankly, in, inside that defensive line because they already were coming in short after cutting Willie Henry. Now with Brandon Williams dealing with his knee injury, you don't know how it's going to play out. And, and is he going to play at 100% when he comes back? He might need some extra relievers. Maybe Pecco is this guy. Maybe they go out and get somebody else. I don't remember um, if Willie Henry is still available. But if he is on the market, maybe they would go out and get him. I don't know. So we have yet to see who they're going to sign at the time of this recording. We don't actually have a name. Um, but what we do know is that they're going to have to sign somebody. And it might not be before the game, because here we are on Friday. They don't have anybody. And even if they sign somebody for the game at this point, I would imagine that person would be inactive simply because they don't know the playbook. They're not acquainted with this team. It's not the right timing to essentially throw them in and see if they swim. That would be a very, especially against this game, against the Steelers, very bad decision if that was to be the, the decision made by Harbaugh and Uh, Eric DaCosta but again I don't think that'll happen I think whoever they sign at this point will have to wait until next week um, to play when we come back against the Bengals at home Uh, and if it is Pecco that'd be a pretty much uh, a very very interesting reunion there on the gridiron 
Um, but moving into our second news topic of the day, we spent a little bit more time than I anticipated on these roster moves. Um, injuries. I always want to go over injuries every week with you guys to make sure you're aware of what's going on in the Ravens. And, of course, we will talk about the injuries for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the team that shall not be named. You know, um, these injuries are important to essentially determine how the game is going to play out, the matchups, what we need to see from other players that are going to fill in for these guys. It's all there. And the first injury is obvious. He hasn't played in weeks. It's Jimmy Smith with a knee injury. He didn't participate at all on Thursday's practice. I don't have Friday's injury report because it's not going to come out until after the podcast is being recorded. If miraculously he was a full participant, I mean, that would be amazing. But he's not going to play this week. I don't know when he's coming back. Uh, MCL sprain is the official diagnosis. Got it in week one. I mean, maybe he's back for the Bengals game. You know, every week goes by, it's, it's more and more likely he'd come back, but he still hasn't participated in any practice. He hasn't been limited. He just hasn't participated at all. Um, so it shows you the Ravens are either being extra cautious with Jimmy Smith at a time they can't be extra cautious, or Jimmy Smith just can't play. And that's, I think right now, he's just not, he's just not anywhere near the health um, requirement to play. He's not healthy at all with this knee. Um, and it's a shame because Jimmy Smith is one of the better cornerbacks in the league when he's healthy, but he never really is able to stay healthy. So it's not surprising that Jimmy Smith is going to be out another week with this MCL sprain. Um, Matt Skurr, actually, as we're recording this, I've been giving, getting tweet notifications. Um, John Harbaugh said that Matt Skurr has a really good chance to start um, this upcoming week against the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, he, you know... It's a good chance, he says. Quote, good chance. But what does that mean? I mean, Harbaugh never is really the one to go out and say more information about a um, an injury situation than necessary. And a good chance to start, it doesn't really mean much. Here's the fact. The fact is, Mascaro did not participate today. I mean, sorry, yesterday. We don't know his full, whether he fully was a participant, a limited participant on Friday. But if he doesn't even participate on Friday today then he, he ain't play, he's not playing. No way. I mean, maybe he miraculously comes in and starts center, but even then, if he's basically limited, what good would it be for the Ravens at that point? I would rather just put James Hurst or Bradley Bozeman at center. I mean, Bozeman's been great at left, left guard. Don't get me wrong. He's actually been good. He had a few bad plays last week, admittedly, against the Browns, but he's been a very good left guard, much better than anticipated. Um, but someone's going to have to play center, and if it's not Matsker, maybe they move Bozeman into the center position, and they, or they and they put Hurst at left guard, or the reverse is true. I'm not sure, um, but it's not exactly a great thing when you're starting center. Who Who is improving? He's not the best start center. He's good enough. Um, it's not exactly a good thing when your starting center is out with a knee injury in a make-or-break game. Now, I'm not going to say that this is going to make or break the season, but it's going to make or break really the Ravens' position moving forward, if you understand what I mean. Because the Ravens with a win and a Cleveland loss will put them back in first place in the AFC North. A loss to the Steelers, even with a Cleveland loss, would, would dramatically change the landscape of the AFC North to the point where the Steelers are in conversation, the Ravens are in conversation, the Browns are in conversation, and the Cincinnati Bengals are still terrible. Um, that's just the truth. So regardless, Massacre has got to play. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, he doesn't have to play. If he plays, is what I meant, he's got to be healthy. And if he's not healthy enough to play, we shouldn't necessarily put him in position where he would have to um, essentially be handicapped against whatever pass rush the Steelers put at him. Whoever is the healthiest should start. And whether it's Bozeman, whether it's Hurst, they put in at center to relieve Skura, somebody has to come in. Um, and, and play well enough to the point where Lamar Jackson has time in the pocket, where Mark Ingram can run up the middle. Um, and that's what Matt Skur has been doing well. He has been allowing those holes to develop uh, you know, in the middle of that line, and that's important for this Ravens run game. They want to ground and pound up the middle. They're not trying to wheel and dealy on the sides. It's all up the middle runs, you know, as far as Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. Justice Hill and, and Lamar Jackson are different, but it's really it, the run game goes through Mark Ingram. Gus Edwards is, is much less needed this year to Greg Roman. I'm not saying I would I would use um, Gus Edwards less, but Greg Roman has clearly identified that Mark Ingram is the the stalwart runner of this team, 
and that's who they're going through, and it's always up the middle because that's what Mark Ingram does best. And it's worked, you know, but there have been plays where maybe you should have put Gus Edwards in a little bit more to take some, some pressure off Ingram, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later in this episode. Mark Andrews moving on, though. Tight end, foot injury, limited participant. He played last week with his foot injury. He played against Kansas City with his foot injury. I'm not really concerned whether or not he plays. I'm more concerned with the level of play he'll put on the field with his foot injury. Um whether or not he, you know, is a dominant tight end that we saw in the two first two weeks or he's kind of a back burner like we saw in the past two weeks. That's really my concern. I just want him to be healthy again and return to what he's he was doing. Those 200 yards of games to start the season were incredible. Since then, it hasn't been so great. He hasn't been bad. It's just he's not the same dominant player. You can tell he doesn't have the same pep in his step he would have he did have against Miami and Arizona. I mean, I want that player back. I mean, it's fine if he's a limited participant. It's fine if we have to rely on Hayden Hurst a little bit, but I really want the Mark Andrews, the Jimmy Graham Mark Andrews to come back uh, and do some damage. And finally, Brandon Williams has this knee injury. Didn't didn't let him play last week at the last minute. Doctors basically told him, you can't go, uh, and Williams was not able to play against the Cleveland Browns in a very, 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 very pivotal matchup. And it was very disappointing because we needed Brandon Williams in there. Um, but the decision really wasn't entirely his, right? Um, so he didn't play. But he was a limited participant in today's practice. I'm sorry, yesterday's practice. I'm getting so confused. Yesterday's practice, he was limited uh, Thursday, and whether or not he's limited on Friday would pretty much tell you his chances to play. If he's a full participant on Friday today, then he's good to go. If he's limited, it's it's questionable. And if he doesn't participate, then something got worse. Um, but we'll see how Brandon Williams progresses here um, once the injury report is given to me. Okay, so that's basically all the Ravens news we have for you. Um, I do want to talk about the game from the past week, and I don't really mean to bring up any triggering memories for anybody but it was I mean it was dreadful the entire game was just awful there were so many things wrong with it and I, I don't want to nitpick too much if you read my fool's gold article you know exactly what I'm talking about it was just so many things and I listen I get it some people didn't like that article okay but that's the reaction I had and the fact is the Ravens were terrible against the Browns. They were just awful. Everything was wrong with that game. I mean, Marlon Humphrey was okay, but he got burnt. He he got beat on a couple plays. Lamar Jackson was fine, but he missed some throws that he had to make. Right? You have some decent performers, but nobody really dominant. And against the Browns, too, you needed it. That's the fact. That's the fact of the matter here. Everything wrong with this game. Number one, first of all, the defense sucked. It was terrible. I mean, you let the Browns take 40 points. This is the team that scored over 20 points once going into this game. They couldn't put 20 points on the Titans. How do you let them score 40 on you? And this is definitely not the same Ravens defense. And look, you can blame Tony Jefferson. You can blame Earl Thomas. You can blame Brandon Carr. You can blame the absence of Jimmy Smith. You can even blame Marlon Humphrey if you want. I wouldn't, but you could for missing on a couple plays. No matter what, this unit as a collective is not performing to the way it has to be. And that's that's the fact. The individual performances, occasionally good, don't add up to what the Ravens need. And maybe it's a loss of a pass rush without Terrell Suggs. Maybe it's a loss of that inside commander, C.J. Mosley, that was holding this this thing together. But Tony Jefferson misses tackles, and he has a t- he had a, some terrible absolutely garbage um, pursuit routes. And I'm not trying to insult anybody here, but this is what happened. Tony Jefferson had some absolute garbage pursuit routes. Earl Thomas looked lazy out there. I'm sorry, he looked lazy. He had some opportunities. That one play when they ran, I mean, it's 24 to 18. You need to get a stop and get the ball back, and you have a chance of winning the game. And Earl Thomas is the last man between Nick Chubb and the end zone, and he stops running for him, and he walks. He claimed, you know, hamstring. I felt like a hamstring was gonna was gonna explode. I mean, maybe, but to me, it just looked like he gave up. 
and I'm sorry if I'm mischaracterizing this, but to me, in the stands, it looked like he gave up, and I immediately pointed it out to the people around me. I was like, Earl Thomas just stopped. And on replay, Earl Thomas just stopped in the middle of the play. And that was unacceptable. Um, Brandon Carr, I mean, he looks sloppy out there. Ha- I mean, he has some good plays, but he looks sloppy occasionally. Marlon Humphrey looked a little sloppy at some points. But he was, I think, the secondary's best performer. Now, Maurice Kennedy would have been <laughs> would have been the best performer um, in the secondary, but he did make some mistakes. But I have to hand it. I said it in the middle of the game that he was going to get a shout-out on this podcast. Maurice Kennedy, okay? Nobody expects Maurice Kennedy to actually make plays. Got a pick. Got a couple crucial bat-downs and crucial points in the game. Not the best tackle angles and missed a tackle here and there. But at the end of the day, Maurice Kennedy, when it's all said and done, was one of the better performers in the secondary. I mean, yeah, he had mistakes, but... This is, that's, you know, Maurice Kennedy mistakes. It happens for him. But the, the, the upside of Maurice Kennedy in this game was actually amazing. I had no idea that was coming. And again, it wasn't a perfect game. But for Maurice Kennedy's standards where he had been and how bad he was the previous week, he had some phenomenal plays. And I want to see more out of it. I'm really happy he did that. I'm really happy for him. Because Maurice Kennedy, you know, He's a guy you root for. He's he's someone who shouldn't really be doing well. And he's doing, he did, much better. Um, I just got a tweet alert that, that uh, not to interrupt you, but we got a tweet alert that um, Jalen Ramsey is not going to play against the, the um, things the Chiefs are playing this week. Somebody, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars won't have Jalen Ramsey this week against whoever they're playing. Um, just to keep that in mind as we're going forward. We're not going to talk too much about Jalen Ramsey again. I, we talked about him two weeks in a row, potentially training for him. We're not going to talk about it. Uh, I just wanted to let you know as, as we're going on here. Anyway, um, so Maurice Kennedy, he had a pretty good game. Uh, offense, terrible play calling. We didn't pass deep until like the second quarter, and Chris Moore couldn't even get the feet in bounds. Typical Chris Moore. I mean, I, I'm not trying to insult anybody here, but Chris Moore, come on. Just get your feet in bounds. You just had to stand there. You just had to like look down at your feet and then look up and catch the ball. That's all you had to do, and you couldn't do it. I mean, this is the, this is the reason that we've been we've been so disappointed in Chris Moore is he hasn't put everything together to become a very good wide receiver, or at least even a good wide receiver. We don't have that for Chris Moore. Um, it's just not there. And will it ever come? I don't know. I can't say it will because we haven't seen enough out of Chris Moore to tell us that he is going to be, you know, that receiver. He's the guy that's supposed to develop. He hasn't developed to this point. The preseason looks great, and he hasn't. I don't even know if he's caught a catch yet. Maybe he caught one or two. But he's being outperformed by Seth Roberts. Okay, and Seth Roberts didn't was very close to not even making this roster. Chris Moore was considered a lock. I don't think Chris Moore's coming back next year if he continues this. It's just not good. And then you have the whole, you know, I mean, I alluded to it. The, the play calling was terrible. You have two deep throws the entire game. Two. Lamar Jackson was held under, like, 200 yards throughout most of the game. Until, like, the last drive when they were just, you know, playing prevent defense against us because they were up 40-18 to 18 in the fourth quarter. And I get everyone wants to blame the defense because it was an atrocious defensive day. But the Ravens were winning time of possession for a while. Okay, it wasn't by much, but they were winning time of possession. And the offense couldn't finish drives. They couldn't get over their mistakes. They didn't change anything. I mean, you want to talk about Marty Mornwig not changing a scheme after a half, Greg Roman did the same exact thing he did in the first half, which is run the ball, 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 pass. Two short passes, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I get we're a running team, okay? But you don't put Mark Ingram through that many hits and expect him not to lose the football at some point in the game. If he's taking a hit over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, he's going to lose the ball at some point. And in a critical moment, when you ran him, I think, I mean, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure he ran that play beforehand and even the play before that. 
run the same darn play, I mean, they're going to see it coming, and they're going to come in and hit him. You have to at least mix it up if you're running. I mean, you have Justice Hill. You have Lamar Jackson, and you have Gus Edwards. At least make somebody else run in these crucial situations from time to time or put somebody else in the field as a decoy so they're not exactly going to single in on Mark Ingram and annihilate him on the hit and make him fumble the ball like they did on that drive. I, I can't blame Mark Ingram for that fumble because, frankly, he was being overworked. I mean, this is a 30-year-old running back here. I mean, you don't run him like he's a 22-year-old running back. It's just not how it works. And Greg Roman didn't get that memo, and that, I think, is why the fumble occurred. In all honesty, that's the core reason. And it stung very badly for the Ravens. And again, everyone wants to blame the defense for this game. Nobody seems to want to acknowledge that the offense was bad. It was a bad offense. It didn't do what it had to do. Lamar didn't pass enough. Lamar on his passes was not as accurate as he had to be sometimes. It wasn't bad by him. But he didn't look the same. He looked uncomfortable because he wasn't he wasn't being the Lamar we saw in the first game, even the second game too. Basically freewheeling it out there, throwing the ball like it's 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 high school. He looked very stiff at times, like everything was told to him exactly what to do. And that's not that's as we've seen. I mean, look, two two years ago coming into the draft, I would have told you. That's the Lamar you need to have is a very highly scripted one, but the evidence has changed. The changed, the changes. Lamar Jackson is the player you need to let run unscripted sometimes, and it's not what the Ravens did on Sunday. Is they they scripted his runs tremendously. They told him you're going to throw this guy short, short, short. You don't win games chipping away like that. I mean, this is it looked like Mark Tressman was calling the game. How many, Ra- how many games did the Ravens win with Mark Trestman as offensive coordinator? Can anybody enlighten me? I think it was seven in a year and a half. And yeah, everybody got hurt, but that offense sucked. So my point is when you're – I mean, you can run a West Coast offense, but if you're running a West Coast offense that doesn't have a deep game, you're not running a West Coast offense. You're running a deacon dunk offense that doesn't work. You can't do that because they know it's, they're just going to stack the box on you. They know it's coming, and they're going to stop you. And that's exactly what happened. They stopped the Ravens when they counted most, and they weren't able to score enough points. So much for this number one offense. You want to keep talking about how this is the best offense in the league, number one statistically? I mean, Miami inflates those numbers. When you look at the numbers without Miami, sure, it's still one of the best in terms of total yardage, but you go down from, like, first in scoring to 10th. It's, like, 12th in, like, passing yards or whatever it is. I mean, it's not great. It's not great. You can't claim to be the number one offense in, in reality not score eight more than 18 points. And I know they scored, what, 20, 25 points in the end, but it was garbage time. So it was 18 points, in all honesty. It was it, The final score was really 40 to 18 the the last the last touchdown didn't matter. It had no effect on the outcome, and that's why the the Browns just like gave it to the Ravens because they didn't care. Because who cares? Because you're gonna win the game anyway with three minutes left. You're up forty to eighteen. What are the Ravens gonna do? Not with that offense, nothing. And then after the game, after the game. Oh, and, and before we get after the game, Harbaugh two point conversions need to stop. They're ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I don't care what the analytics are. It doesn't make any sense, okay? Because if you lose that two-point conversion that he put... I mean, everybody booed him, and I was booing, booing him too. Everyone was booing in the crowd. If you put that two-point conversion attempt out there at that point when, you, when you're down 24-16 to in what was the fourth quarter, and you miss that, then you got to get an eight points to tie it. Why don't you just go for the two points when it's a 24-23 game if you score a touchdown again, right? Two points win it. Why do the two point there? It doesn't make any sense. You're only digging yourself a bigger hole if you, if you miss it. It doesn't really give you much benefit if you make it because you're still not guaranteed to even get a touchdown again. and You're not even guaranteed to stop them like we saw. 
So, I mean, it's got to stop. Just chill out, Harbaugh, because really, I mean, you win games. You've always won games on your gut, and your gut has always, I mean, not always been right, but it's almost always been right. You want a Super Bowl on your gut. Let's stop pretending the analytics people can can outcoach, you know, how football should be coached. I get there's times for analytics, and I think analytics are good, but you can't rely on analytics for every single decision, and that is what Harbaugh, I mean, looks like he's trying to do right now. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, after the game, Earl Thomas and Brandon Williams got into a little scuffle in the locker room. Earl Thomas was ta- telling Brandon Williams that he was very annoyed that he did not play because of his knee injury. Now, let me let me tell you something, though. Earl Thomas has no right to say that to Brandon Williams. None whatsoever. Earl Thomas just joined this team this year and on a very critical play decided to give up. Because he felt like his hamstring was hurt. And maybe, I don't know, I didn't feel it. Maybe it was. But to go after your teammate afterwards and blame him for the loss because he didn't play, because he wasn't cleared to play, is, is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, and, and it's a lazy attitude. It's, it's lazy because you can't just blame Brandon Williams for this loss when you yourself are the one that missed the most important game, most important play of the game. You missed it yourself. You gave up on that play yourself. You didn't even try. And then you go to Brandon Williams and tell him how terrible it was that he missed the game and how awful he was for it. Like, get out of here, Earl Thomas. Seriously, we're not paying you $33 million or whatever it is, $38 million to cause problems like this. Very disappointing by Earl Thomas there. Um, without any further ado, I mean... I was going to talk about how the Ravens need to stop being cute and play real football again with this little stupid Deacon Dunk stuff, but, I mean, I basically already talked about it. So we're just going to move ahead now into the game. Look ahead. Let's get off this Browns game because it, it dragged everybody down. It was terrible. We have a real opportunity here to cement ourselves back into first place in the division with a Browns loss um, as long as we win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And what does this rivalry mean, though? I mean, you have two new quarterbacks who haven't been here at the heat of this rivalry. The the Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Flacco duels, right? I mean, say what you will about Flacco and say what you will about Roethlisberger's quarterbacks, but when those two got together, it was on. I mean, they were on target. It was back-and-forth football. Some of the best football you'll ever see are Ravens and Steelers games with Flacco and Roethlisberger at the helm of each offense. Now we have Lamar Jackson and Mesa Rudolph. And I don't know if, I mean, I'm not going to say Ben Roethlisberger is never going to play again. I don't think it'd be fair to say it right now. But his, his, his tenure is certainly ending. If not this year, the next. As the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, we're never going to really see the same part of that rivalry. anymore. We're just not going to see it. So... Whether or not the rivalry continues is really going to rely on how Lamar Jackson, and assuming it's Mason Rudolph as a successor, Mason Rudolph play. I mean, if one team starts just beating up on the other team, like, can you consider the Browns still the Pittsburgh Steelers rivals? I can't. Honestly, I can't. I know traditionally they are. But in reality, the, the Browns don't compete. Or haven't. I mean, maybe this year they do. Um, but they haven't competed with the Pittsburgh Steelers in recent years since coming back into the league. So the tradition of this game, it's obviously there. With so many heated battles relying on, you know, who gets the division, the future tradition of this this rivalry is really at stake. And I think this is going to be a key moment in the rivalry where we see the torch obviously was passed last year to Jackson, right? And maybe it's to Rudolph this year. But this is, I think, Jackson's second. No, he hasn't even started against the Steelers. That's right, because Flacco was the last player to start against the Steelers. So this is the first game without Flacco and Roth or and or Roethlisberger playing, which is pretty wild to think about. I mean, maybe there was a game where both were hurt, but I think the only time Flacco didn't play against the Steelers was 2015. So I don't think. I mean, unless I'm missing something, I don't. And I think Roethlisberger played that game because that was the game 
I think it was um, Jimmy Clausen beat them that game, or somebody beat them who, who you know obviously sucked. But again, this is a really key point in this rivalry here. As the torch is being passed to the younger generation, maybe Mason Rudolph isn't the quarterback, but we know Lamar will be here for a little while. Um, and the battle for the AFC North is really going to take place in this game. I mean, it's not going to be decided, but the battle is going to continue because now the Steelers with a win can be within striking distance of the Cleveland Browns, assuming they win. If they lose, then everybody's tied for first place. If the Steelers win, if the Ravens win, and they push the Steelers to one and four, the Ravens get to three and two, and then the division, the gap gets wider. So this is a very, very critical game in the grand scheme for this AFC North battle here. Um, and the question is, who's going to play, right? Who is going to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers? There's a lot of guys on their injury injury list here, and they're banged up. James Conner, the starting running back, ankle injury, did not participate Thursday's practice. Roosevelt Knicks, fullback, knee injury, did not participate in Thursday's practice. Vance McDonald, tight end, shoulder injury, did not participate in Thursday's practice. Anthony Chickillo, linebacker, foot injury, did not participate in Thursday's practice. Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver, toe injury, did not participate in Thursday's practice. Cameron Hayward, defensive tackle with a quadricep injury, and Vince Williams, linebacker with a hamstring injury, were both full participants in Thursday's practice. So... It really depends on today's practice, today's injury report, where these players go, finding out whether or not they're going to play. Um, and and some of these guys are extremely critical. And, you know, I always give the three on the podcast, three opposing players that are going to be key to the game. And this is what we're going to end with today. We're gonna, this is going to be our final segment. Three key opposing players. Two of them are on that list. And all of them are on offense. And we'll start with James Conner because the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, whatever it is without Ben Roethlisberger, um, James Conner is going to have to be an extremely important um, facet in it because Conner is is the guy where the offense is going to run through, right? And if he's not playing, then the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to have a major disadvantage because let's face it, what is this what is this passing game without Ben Roethlisberger? We really don't know. That's why they're gonna try to rely on James Conner. He's going to be the workhorse. He's a workhorse. He's a very good running back. He's a good inspiration too. I like him a lot. But if he doesn't play, or at least if he doesn't play healthy, I mean who who is the who are the Pittsburgh Steelers going to run with? It's not Le'Veon. I mean, the killer bees are all gone here, right? There's no Brown. There's no Bell. There's no Ben. Who would play for James Conner if he doesn't play? And frankly, I don't know if he's going to play. I, I can't tell you he's going to play. I don't know what, what exactly is going on over there in Yinsburg. But Conner not participating in Thursday's practice, definitely not a good sign. It's definitely not a good sign for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he needs to play and be healthy. Juju Smith-Schuster, same thing, another key player, did not participate on Thursday. If this passing game wants to do anything, you know, remotely good, it's going to need Juju Smith-Schuster. It's going to need Juju Smith-Schuster as the number one receiver. And if it doesn't have it, who are they going to throw to? Vance McDonald might not even play. Who who is going to be the receiver without Juju? If both these guys don't play, then I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are in some trouble. Even with the very, 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 very bad Ravens secondary, how are they going to manage without their two best offensive weapons? And this is a legitimate chance. There's a very good chance that both don't play on Sunday, which could be catastrophic for the Steelers. And finally... The last opposing player the Ravens are gonna have to watch for the key to the Steel- the ultimate key to the Steelers win, to a Steelers win, not the Steelers win because I don't know if they're gonna win. Mason Rudolph, who is Mason Rudolph? Last year I said Mason Rudolph was the fifth best quarterback, if I remember correctly, the fifth best quarterback. I told I said you he was above Lamar Jackson, and I mean hindsight is twenty twenty, but we really don't know who Mason Rudolph is yet. In his first two games playing here, it's been a lot of checkdowns. It's been essentially the, the playbook that 
the Ravens had on display last week. And I think both teams know they got to change it. So I expect him to take deep shots. I expect him to do things he hasn't done before, and especially against this Ravens secondary. He's going to try some things. Whether or not he succeeds on any of them, it's going to be completely up to him and the offensive weapons around him. He'll need Juju Smith-Schuster. He'll need James Conner. He's going to need a healthy offensive line. It doesn't look like any offensive linemen are out, but he's, he might not have Vance McDonald. He might not have his blocker Roosevelt Nixon there, the fullback. And if he doesn't have Juju and, and Connor, he's going to have a very, very difficult time in this offense. So at the end of the day, it's going to come down to him, Connor, and Schuster playing. And if Smith, Schuster, and Connor don't play, then Mason Rudolph is going to have a very difficult time. But if they all play, there's a decent chance they can beat the Ravens. Honestly, there's a very decent chance they can beat the Ravens. You can never discount the Steelers and the Ravens, no matter how bad either team is. We saw it in 2015. We've seen it before with the Steelers playing poorly, coming in and doing well against the Ravens. We know that these teams are going to battle it out. We know no matter what, it's going to be a bloodbath on the field. That's it. That's why this rivalry is always so intriguing because it's always a fight. And there's always something on the line, whether it be playoff positioning, divisional positioning, or pride itself. There's always something on the line, and that's why this this rivalry is so great. It's so unique in the National Football League. There, Frankly, there aren't many rivalries like this one. You can find more. This is more akin to a college football rivalry, a Michigan-Ohio State than it is to a, a Buccaneers-Panthers. It's not the same thing. There's only a few others in the league. Maybe the Packers, I would say the Packers and the Bears, everybody in the NFC North except the Redskins against each other, you know, Giants and Eagles and Giants and Cowboys and Cowboys and Eagles, but no one really cares about the Redskins. Not even Jets and New England because that's not even a real rivalry. This is one of the premier rivalries in the National Football League, and this is going to be a very good game, I think. We'll see the Ravens if they can come out on top. You can find my preview and predictions Saturday on BaltimoreFeather.com. And as we wrap up this podcast, I want to remind everybody, if you're listening on YouTube, to subscribe. If you're listening on iTunes, to subscribe as well. Comment below. Let me know what you think about some of these things we've talked about today. Whether you think the Ravens will beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, let me know. Uh, you can find me at Chris Linvon on Twitter, at Be More Feather uh, for the Baltimore Feathers Twitter page, and at Nest Talk for the Nest Talk Twitter page. Like us on Facebook, too, if you're so inclined. You can also get uh, latest, greatest Ravens News and Opinion articles on the Baltimore Feather page there, uh, and the Nest Talk page there always has every time we post a new podcast. Always weekly now on Fridays, so you will get that there. Make sure to subscribe to the newsletter on BaltimoreFeather.com. Puts it all in your inbox, your email inbox for you, so that way you never have to worry about getting a new episode, about getting a new uh, article, and staying up to date with the latest Ravens news. So that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Nest Talk. Nest Talk 47, again recorded on this Friday, October 4th, 2019. We will see you next week after the Ravens have take took on the Pittsburgh Steelers and look ahead to the Cincinnati Bengals in another crucial divisional opponent game. Uh, and until next week, um, have a great one, and we will see you then, and go Ravens. <laughs>